Father, I just want to give you thanks for this time that we have together, that we get to explore this wonderful part of your word. And I just pray as we, uh, as we all sit together and read this morning, that you'll bless this word to our hearts and give us an understanding of, uh, yeah, give us an understanding of what we're reading. And just help to soften us towards this message, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, folks, we're going through Romans 8, 31 to 39 this morning. Probably a token passage that lots of people remember. Mainly because it's where everyone that feels guilty at heart runs to. Because they want to know, I'm not separated from Christ. But we'll get to that. Uh, but we'll read it all together. Uh, and then uh, we'll get into kind of diving in a little bit more. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us... Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the message for today. Thank you. We will go home. That's it. There's not really much more to say about it. It's... I've been talking to Derek and to Steph and even to Rob a little bit yesterday, just saying that this, this passage in itself is so well put by Paul. There's not really much else you can really say about it. It is, it is just sort of bang on. It is exactly, exactly what we need to hear. And Paul is kind of more or less shutting down anything else that you can kind of, any other idea that you can bring up. But what about, but what about, no. But a quick backstory. I just want to, kind of have a general outline of where we've come from in Romans so far. It'll only take about 25 minutes. But a uh, quick backstory. So in Romans 1, okay, leading up to this point, we see that God's, God's wrath against sin. Okay, in Romans 2, we see his judgment against sin. Get to chapter 3, and we see that no one is righteous, no, not one, except God. And our righteousness that we have only comes through Christ. Romans 4 emphasises the point that we are justified through Christ alone. Romans 5, the sin of one man, being Adam, has caused the death of many, but the perfection of Christ has brought life and salvation to many. Romans 6, Christ has conquered death and sin to make life available to us. Romans 7, that's the battle between sin and creation and sin and the spirit. Romans 8, up to this point, is the groaning of all creation and the intervention of God and the Spirit on our behalf. Now, keep in mind, that's a very general outline. Don't throw your Bibles at my head yet, please. So I know it might seem just a bit overwhelming at first, okay, to kind of sort of try and pack all that into one small little package. But 
I encourage you, if you haven't listened to the sermons leading up to this point, go and have a listen. It'll take a little while, but I'm sure you guys are all actually way too busy. Never mind. Your lives are so full to put earphones in, but anyway. Um, I just encourage you to do that because the entire message of Romans is incredible. And having the context of the entire letter, okay, because I want to emphasize that, when you read the Bible, it is a letter, okay, so it's meant to be read in one chunk, not really possible to understand in one chunk, but, so I encourage you to listen to the sermons, get the context leading up to this point, because you will, I, I believe, you'll get a fuller meaning of what's going on, especially if you're kind of having a hard time wrapping your head around it like I do. Um... But yeah, it is very easy for us to draw our minds to the bits that stand out like today. I mean, how amazing is it to hear a chapter or the end of a chapter like that? But what we're more or less reading today is a conclusion to a massive, uh, more or less a massive chunk of the letter. We're getting towards the end of Romans 8 now, or the exact end of Romans 8. And Paul is wrapping it up for us in a very crucial and climactic point of the letter leading into Romans 9 on to 15 and whatnot. But Paul is hoping that as finishing and concluding in such a powerful way that this will sink in for us as we continue on reading Romans. So we'll jump in before I start taking too long. I'm getting sick of my own voice. So verse 31, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, Steph and I were talking about this and we're like, in response to what things? And this is the thing that happens when you don't read a little bit prior. <laughs> like, so, in response to what things? Well, the things that we were talking about last time, I was up here preaching at least. Okay, the things we we're talking about from Romans twenty-six to th- Romans eight twenty-six to thirty, and even in context of the whole letter. But we'll focus on that small chunk for the time being. It's talking about the fact that God chose us. So, what do we say in response to the fact that God has chosen us? He's predestined us. He has justified us. Okay, and he is calling us and he is glorifying us. What do we say in response to that? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God has done all those things for us, who can stand against us? Now, we shouldn't take this as a way of saying, I can stand up to anyone and anything. I'm never going to get taken on because that's not the life of a Christian, as we'll come to realise later on. But it should really draw our focus to Christ. Christ has done all that work and he's standing there in front of us. So we should be able to stand up boldly and say, oh man, if God is for us, if Christ is there in front of me, taking the wrath of God, what can come against me? The answer, absolutely flaming nothing. But we'll get to that even more so. Paul continues to emphasise this point. But I want to emphasise this. This points us to the message of the gospel that not only have we been justified... But take confidence in the fact that Christ is preparing a room for us. He is preparing a place for us in the Father's house so that we can enjoy eternity with Him. Today it's going to be a pretty, I think, consistently the same message all the way through. So if I start to get repetitive, bear with me. Uh, So we'll go to verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things. Now, this is a crazy thing. So the first place my head went to when I was reading this, I know for a fact that a large majority of us in this room, you'd at least hope that if you had the chance to trade your life for your own child's life, you would do it without a second thought. 
which I found really surprising in my heart because I'm going, I'm very sinful. I'm a very, very sinful person. And my heart would be more than willing to put my life on the line for my son and that baby that's in Steph at the moment. (laughs) But God has a perfect love for Christ. We can't hold the fact that, oh, I would have jumped in the way, God. I would have sacrificed myself for Christ. It's like, no, God loved Christ perfectly. Don't get that wrong. Okay, That's, this, is where, this is where my sinful heart is trying to pull in different directions. God who loves Christ perfectly was willing to give up his one and only son that we may live. Now that's nuts. I thought about it and I was like just trying to come up with this constant uh, situation of... You imagine just the, the most gruesome criminal comes up to you. I'm not going to label things. But the most gruesome person you could possibly ever imagine comes up to you. And all of a sudden you have this overwhelming urge to go, you know what, I love you more than anything. I'm going to sacrifice my son for you. And you, you send your child in for the death penalty kind of thing. That's gruesome. That's full on. That is hectic. We couldn't imagine even trying to do that. I know that I couldn't. I never would, (laughs) no matter what. And yet Christ has such a perfect love, not just for Christ, but for us as his creation, that he was willing to look at us in our filth and our mess and go, you know what, I love you more than that. And you know what, even more so, my son, Christ, is going to die and suffer on your behalf so that you can enjoy life with me. That is such a perfect love that you and I could never comprehend. It's crazy. The even crazier thing is knowing that Christ's capability of just being able to lift himself off that cross, he was more than capable. He was God. And yet the perfect love that Christ had for us, the compassionate love that Christ had for us, that he chose to stay there. And it's incredible for us, an incredible story, that three days later he could be resurrected and overcome sin once and for all. Sorry, this is all very loaded for one verse, I'm sorry, but this is the stuff that's kind of just hitting Steph and I this week as we're looking into it. It gave Steph and I a new perspective. We, uh, we thought, how crazy is that? What wouldn't God be willing to do? To show us that he loves us. What wouldn't God be willing to do to show us that he loves us? The fact that he sacrificed his one and only son. It brought us back to that previous verse. Who can be against us? If through Christ we are saved and we are justified and we are glorified, who can stand against us? And we go on to further emphasise that in verse 33. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Now, no one can question God. Well, like you can. You can give it a red hot crack, I reckon. But I don't think it's going to avail too much. It's like we stated in the last sermon. I don't mean to keep plugging my last sermon here, but hey, maybe we should go listen to sermons more often. I don't know. We don't know what God's ultimate plan is. 
We don't know how his will is going to unfold, how it is going to be done. What hit me in this part was all the times that I've chosen to sit on my high horse and maybe judge someone else. (laughs) Made me think about a time where I have judged them and as sad as it is to say, I feel like we all have. But this verse even shuts that down. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? No amount of judgment from you or I, I can guarantee you that. We're not the judge. What does it say right after that? Very simple. It is God who justifies. I can hardly wrap my own head around it. It is, this is just absolutely nuts. And I just, I'm sorry, I'm getting all caught up on it. (laughs) Just, I can't believe the fact that we are so sinful. And yet God, right there, it is God who justifies completely. This point is constantly getting reinforced, which is why I want to push the point. Paul is wrapping this up for us. He is making sure we understand, hey, if you haven't listened to the entirety of this first part of the letter, here it is plain and simple. It is God who justifies. Not you and your sinful ways, Ned, your mongrel. (laughs) It is God. We can't condemn those who God has chosen. Which leads us to the next question that Paul asks in 34. Who then is the one who condemns? I want to condemn people. Who can I condemn? Who will condemn this person for being sinful? No one. Who then is the one who condemns? Absolutely no one. I love this point. It's like Paul started writing, Christ Jesus who died... Wait a second, more than that. Not only did Christ die, Christ Jesus who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. If we didn't get it yet, and I know that that I've had my times, especially even while reading this, that I'm just like, oh man, surely. If we didn't get it yet, Paul's making it very clear. No one can condemn us. No matter how hard they try. No matter how condemned someone can make you feel, you can stand up proudly and say, you know what, I can't be condemned by you. I can't be. Even if I wanted you to be able to condemn me for the sins that I have committed in my life, you cannot condemn me. Because Christ is interceding for us. And if you wanted to feel like you, like you aren't even on the front line of your own salvation. We heard in 26 to 30 of Romans 8 that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us in our prayer, in our life constantly. And we hear again here, Christ is also interceding for us. There is not a single spot in our own lives where we are actually able to achieve this ourselves. I can't push that point enough, especially for myself. I'm hoping the echo will bounce off the back of that wall and slap me right in the mouth. Because there is nothing I can do. There is nothing any of us can do. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us. Christ intercedes for us. And you know why God has done that? So that He can guarantee our salvation. So that we can have 
that firm foundation in Christ so that when we stand there on that final day in front of God, he can say, my dear son, I love you. Because he will see Christ. Again, I'm getting repetitive. I'm sorry, but I need to hear this. And so do all of us. So shush. <coughs> but you get on to pass the condemning point and we have another question. It's, it's funny, this whole thing is just questions, pretty much. This whole end section. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Surely one of these things. It's like if I'm not being condemned, surely something can separate me. Sometimes I feel like I can, and maybe some of us here can tend to get this idea that because God is interceding for us on every front of our lives, that we somehow can have a nice cushy life. Now this is kind of like a weird flip, I understand, but we'll get there. We see those words there, shall trouble or hardship, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. Shall any of that separate us? I mean, just for a bit of a personal thing, I felt quite separated from the love of God this morning. Our coffee machine died. (laughs) Uh, And I was, yeah, I was like, God, why have you done this to me? Um, Not even that can separate us. Not even a lack of coffee can separate us from the love of Christ. It's funny, that's such a trivial and first world issue there. Back in the day, if you look at the early church... These guys probably would have genuinely felt like, oh man, the Romans are coming to take my head off. The Romans are coming to hang me in the street for my faith. Surely that could separate me from the love of God if I am to just be killed by these guys. But nothing. Shall trouble or hardship? No. Nothing. Then we get on to that further. Paul just asks all these questions to wrap up to the final big point that we will get there. I want to bring this up to emphasise the psalm in the next verse. The life of a Christian is not one of ease. Although we can't be separated from the love of Christ, this does not mean that we're going to live a cushy lifestyle. Paul quotes in verse 36, Psalm 44, verse 22, as it is written, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. That sounds like a real pleasant life to me. (laughs) Every day you face death. It's nuts. That that, that is such a bold statement for Paul to add in right here. We are as sheep to be slaughtered. If that doesn't emphasise the point that, hey, your life's not going to be easy. If you're out telling people, hey, come and follow Christ. It's superb. It's great. It's fantastic. You won't suffer ever again. And yet, for people to come to Christ, they are revealed to their own sin in their own life, in the sin around them, and it creates this turmoil then, this desire to want to just, I just want to go to eternity with God. I don't want to see this sin anymore. I hate seeing my own sin. But there is life. There is peace and there is hope. 
for Christians, for everyone, if they choose to believe it and God chooses to reveal it to them. So with all that in mind, verse 37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No trouble or hardship, persecution, nothing. Not the angels of God, nor the demons of hell. Neither what's happening to you right now in your situations or what may happen to you later on. Not even what has happened to you before this very moment. I get reminded in this final section of, uh, well, the psalm, I believe it is, but also I, I remember it most from Colin Buchanan's song, God is Everywhere. You can't escape God. No matter how hard you try to look at your own sin, no matter how hard you try to condemn yourself, to separate yourself, you cannot outrun God's love. It's not possible. Through trials, through the struggle with our sin, through persecution, we are brought to a new life. We are brought to new life through Christ who loved us. Nothing, absolutely nothing, has the power to remove his love and salvation. I thought this was good talking to Rob yesterday. He gave me the word. We have an unshakable and unbreakable assurance in the love that Christ has for us. Are you smiling because of the Colin reference again? That's what I thought when I wrote it. I was like, oh man, I can't get away from Colin. Leave me alone. Unshakable, unbreakable assurance in the love that Christ has for us. There is nothing that can take that away from you. I need you to understand that. And it's more for me to understand standing here, sharing it with you. Because almost on the daily, I feel like not just myself, but I feel like you guys sitting here as well will make your best effort to condemn yourself. Because you feel like that's what you need. You feel like I need to feel condemned so I can earn the love of God. can't do anything to earn it. God loves you. Perfectly, better than you could ever love anyone anyone in the whole world. God loves you. And he has done everything for you so that he can guarantee your place when he returns, he can guarantee your place in heaven with him. That's crazy. It's an absolute blessing to kind of just be able to stand back and see that. The beauty of God's work so that you and I can enjoy the riches of his kingdom. Absolutely bonkers. Well, let's pray and let's give thanks to God. Father, we are 
amazed at the love that you have for us. I just pray you help to just bring home this message of love and you help to bring home this message of the grace that you have shown us. We can't wrap our heads around it, God. We need you to help us understand just how much you've loved us, just how much you've done so that we could enjoy the fruits of your labour. We pray that you help to soften our hearts. We pray for the kids here in this room that you soften their hearts towards your love. You help the kids here to understand. You help the, even the adults here to understand, Lord, just the, the boundless love that you have shown to us, Lord. We are extremely grateful, Lord, and we have no words to express how grateful for you. How grateful we are for the love of Christ. We thank you, Lord. We give thanks in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen.